Young adults with disabilities remain among the most underrepresented demographic within the workforce. U.S. Department of Labor stats show that they are employed nearly half as often as those without disabilities. One WSU College of Education professor has said that if working is one of the primary ways we achieve economic and social mobility, doesn't it stand to reason that the same holds true for those with disabilities? Traditionally, the school-to-work pipeline for students with disabilities has been facilitated through services offered by the U.S. Department of Education, State Vocational Rehabilitation Services, and similar entities. Now, Marcus Poppin, clinical assistant professor in special education, has research identifying specific individual characteristics that can increase or decrease the odds that an individual with a disability will obtain employment. All that on Education Eclipse. Covering all aspects of teaching and learning, educational leadership and psychology, kinesiology and sport management, it's Education Eclipse from Washington State University. Back here on Education Eclipse, my name is Brandon Chapman, and I'm I'm very pleased to be joined by Marcus Poppin, who's a clinical assistant professor of special education here at the College of Education. First of all, Marcus, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thank you, Brandon. Secondly, congratulations, you just won an award. It's an award with like 20 titles in it. So you tell me about the award and what it was for. Yeah, thank you, Brandon. So yeah, so it was recently awarded the uh, Pat Sittlington Emerging Researcher Award from the Division of Career Development. Uh, uh, the Division of Career Development and Transition is a division of uh, Council for Exceptional Children, which works closely with, at the national level, with uh, students with disabilities. So I am uh, honored um, and uh, humbled to have received this award. Uh, it's something that's offered every couple of years to uh, um, uh, uh, highlight uh, uh, good research that students are doing. So this was a part of my dissertation research at the University of Oregon. Right, because I was going to say you're not a, you're obviously not a student now, so you qualify for up to, you know, usually these things are a couple of years after you graduate, but it was for student research. Yeah, correct. Any research that's done while you're a student and they're looking to highlight promise and uh, people who are going to demonstrate um, uh, uh, initiative in the field to continue to progress our knowledge around uh, special education and transition. Um, if you'd like, I'd be happy to tell you a little bit about uh, the area of secondary special education and transition because it's fairly focused. Yeah, I'd love that. And I know I'll just mention that that the College of Education here at WSU has a very strong and I would say upcoming special education program. It seems to be an area that is receiving a lot of focus nationally. And uh, I think we're going onward and upward with our program. So please do tell, tell me a little bit about that. Absolutely. And so um, special education is a very broad field. Uh, anywhere from working with students with specific disability types to working with students of different age groups. But generally, it focuses on students within the education system who have uh, particular needs uh, related to their educational, academic, or lifespan goals. So my focus is on secondary special education and transition. And transition is really this idea of what do uh, students do after they leave high school. So we had a, a high school football team here in Washington State that just won, uh, you know, uh, again, they went to the state championship for like the, you know, 50th time under the same head coach, winning as high school head coach in, in Washington. And one of the reasons that they do so well is, is that they have a system all the way from when they're little all the way through. So even though you focus on what happens maybe after in that transition, Everything that happens in schools still very much affects 
the, the transition and, and after, I mean. Absolutely. So um, especially when we look at things in a, uh, from a career development perspective. And uh, when we think about who we are today and uh, what we choose to, how, how we chose to, how, how we chose our work, that it's really based upon what, what, what we would call this idea of occupational circumscription and compromise. And throughout our lifespan, beginning when we're a young child and we're dressing up like firefighters or we're choosing to dress up like uh, um, nurses or educators, is we're beginning that track of identifying who we want to be and who are, what our potential occupations are. Now when we look at students with disabilities or we look at certain marginalized populations within um, within the education system, we begin to recognize that, for example, one that's pretty common is that for a long time men were more likely to enter the engineering field than women. And a big part of that is, well, uh, it's holiday season and you, underneath the Christmas tree and what do you find? You find Legos for men and you find a, a Barbie doll for young women. And, and I, I got to tell you, actually, I was looking for something for my own son and it said, boys will love this. Uh, it was a Batman cave, uh, you know, from Fisher Price. It said, "Boys will love playing with this." Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so our our idea of who we are is really starts at a very young age, and that really shapes our choices as we get older and what we think about our ability to be, um, what we think about our ability to do something within the workforce. So uh, that, so when we look at students with disabilities and compare those occupational, that, 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 that career development trajectory for young adults, um, when we compare individuals with disabilities compared to those that do not have disabilities, we find that, that uh, those occupational aspirations and self-efficacy, their beliefs in themselves uh, to uh, be able to achieve um, a, a, a positive uh, workforce environment, it, it, it's, it's different than it is for individuals without disabilities. And so you were talking just a moment ago about the influence of school in caring with somebody as they're getting older. And I think this helps bridge the gap anyway, because you are a, you are, a, you know, teaching special education, not just special vocation. So I think that helps to bridge why are you working with a college of education and not a vocational, you know, institution. Yeah, you know, I think within the education system, we're also we're we're often criticized for for thinking in silos, and um, you know, we think about uh, cognitive skills like math and reading and science, which really is often a focus of special education. But we're also beginning to and have really for quite a long time. But there's beginning a recent recognition of the importance and the value of non-cognitive skills like self-determination and self-efficacy and self-regulation, and these are all also a focus of special education and so when I look at the my, my job is really to look across cognitive and non-cognitive skills to identify salient factors within both of those categories that we can work on as an education system uh, that means involving families that means involving community agencies that means involving um, uh, peers it's trying to understand things from a very holistic approach and not focusing only on those non-cognitive, those those cognitive skills, um, as the education department has, has fairly traditionally done. Okay, I think that makes sense. I think it sets a, a good base too for your research, and why we're highlighting the research. So obviously, societal norms or these expectations that perhaps unfairly have been put on kids, uh, 
you know, gender specific expectations. That aside, what what is the issue that we've encountered as far as the the young adults with disabilities and and how often they are employed as compared to the general population? Yeah, excellent. So when we look at it, it's, it's only since 2008 that the U.S. Department of Labor has been tracking employment rates for individuals with disabilities compared to individuals without disabilities. And when we look at the statistics, Brandon, we really see that young adults with disabilities are employed at about half the rate as those without disabilities. So that is looking at, so young adults without disabilities, this is age 16 to 19, so well students are still in school. And Brandon, for, did, did you have a job when you were in high school? I did. I was the most amazing uh, pizza cutter. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things that we know is that um, when you have a job during high school, that you are far much more likely to go on to have a job 10, 20 years down the line. And individuals without disabilities are are, are employed about twice the percentage rate as those without disabilities while they're in high school. And when you think about that, individuals with disabilities sometimes are often focusing more on academics or they're focusing on trying to make sure that they're passing their classes and their parents are maybe concerned about that and so maybe they don't provide opportunities in the same way or encourage the, in, um, their students to get a job in the same way that they do their non-disabled peers. So the U.S. Department of Labor looks at, uh, um, at, at age ranges. So between students between the ages of 16 and 19 without disabilities are employed at about 42 percent of the time and individuals with disabilities during that same age are employed at 26 percent of the time. And so what, what we do know about that role of work while you're in high school is just that it is super, super important in, in encouraging work habits and understanding building a resume and understanding work skills, customer service, money management, all of these pieces about what it, what it actually means to, to participate in the workforce comes from experiences that students have while they're in high school. And students with disabilities don't often have those same opportunities. Now, can I ask, I, I'm trying to put myself in, in the shoes of a, uh, you know, let's just say a business owner or, or a manager, not to be too cynical. You could imagine why one of them would say, hey, I, I have this much money to spend on labor, I want to spend it on somebody whose productivity is going to be way up here and not somebody with, with disabilities, even though maybe intellectually they're thinking this is a great thing. Like this is long-term value in that individual that we're investing in, you know, society is better off for it, but it is reasonable to see where somebody would say, you know what, uh, th this person's not cutting it. You know, Brandon, I think that you raise somewhat of an important point and that uh, productivity is often a measure of, um, of effectiveness within the workplace. But when we look back and think about the first time that you were hired as a pizza cutter. <laughs> I, was, I, was not, I was not fast. <laughs> and, and it takes a while to develop those skills and that you probably had a work, uh, an employer who looked at you and says, hey, Brandon has potential and I'm willing to invest a little bit of time and energy to be able to develop these skill sets so that Brandon can become what I might determine as an effective or a fast pizza cutter. Now what that says is that you walk into an employer, you submit an application, you got a resume, you, you are a man, you appear in a particular way and that that employer is going to use their predetermined bias to make an assessment about whether or not you are going to be able to achieve the great 
greatness in which they expect. Now for students with disabilities, they often don't have that same privilege. Sometimes those disabilities are, uh, um, are observable from the outside. Other times those disabilities are non-observable or exist within the, with kind of within our, our internal. And um, what, what I would say is that with, with the appropriate supports, with the training, um, with, the, with the correct uh, accommodations, is that uh, students with disabilities absolutely have the potential to be participants in the workforce in, in a very meaningful way. Um, and so I, when, when I hear about, oh, well, what about predict productivity, um, I, 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 don't, I don't feel like that's a very valid reason why individuals without, with disabilities should be, um, should be employed at lower rates than those without. Uh, your research has taken you to see that there are certain predictors which will help us determine which young adults with disabilities will will do fine. We'll have success in the workplace. Yeah, a absolutely. And so, you know, as a as a country for the last 30, 40 years, we've been focusing on um, identifying strategies to support employment outcomes for young adults, and we've come a long ways. And one of these, uh, one one of the ways that we are recognizing is that beginning uh, to offer and develop career development opportunities earlier that that is going to increase employment outcomes. This is very similar to literacy. And so one of the things that we know about is that when we start earlier, we're going to have more, we're going to have, we're going to have better outcomes. And so when we uh, begin to focus on literacy with students when they are, you know, pre-K, that we know that we're going to continue. That early intervention approach is really going to help prepare students to be into, the, into school. And so as a country, as a nation, we've been trying to focus on career development opportunities for students a lot younger than they are, that a lot younger. Um, what we find is that there's uh, uh, agencies within the uh, state and federal government, um, one's called the Vocational Rehabilitation Agency, and what we what we found is that an individual will uh, uh, um, get, their, get, get through high school, uh, they will finish with some sort of a high school certificate or a diploma, and they will go out and be expected to go and find a job and kind of take on their next steps. And that they'll go out there and five or six years later, they'll kind of realize, hey, I'm not doing quite what I wanted to do. And I recognize that I've got a few boundaries or a few barriers that are preventing me from being able to do that. And that they want to go back. They find themselves going back to their special education teachers and saying, hey, I remember that time when you helped create an accommodation for me because of my disability and I'm wondering if you can do this again. Well at that point the student's 25 years old, the special education teacher says well I can't really provide services to you because you're no longer a student within the education district and they're going to make a referral to that student to what's called the vocational rehabilitation department and the vocational rehabilitation department is an employment agency for adults with disabilities and so traditionally vocational rehabilitation has provided services to individuals after they've left the high school. And what we're making a federal initiative towards is really working towards students while they're still in high school. And this is something that's been happening for 10 or so years, more, it's been happening for 20 years, is bringing vocational rehabilitation into the schools to create those career development opportunities and help to bridge that transition from the in-school services that that student's receiving, so the IEP, the transition, transition planning components, the um, education 
learning components, the things that are happening while the student's in school, trying to bridge those services to that adult service provider, which has that objective of trying to help individuals with disabilities find employment. And what we're doing is we're bringing these adult agencies into the school systems to begin collaborating and developing career development opportunities that are going to focus on long-term outcomes such as uh, employment, such as post-secondary education, independent living skills. And so what we know is that by starting earlier, by bringing individuals, by, by, by bringing service agencies into the schools and beginning to shift our target outcomes from things that are very proximal or things like are you going to pass your science exam this week, we step it down and we look at things a little bit more longitudinally and we say, what do you do? What do you want to do with your life? And how is what you're doing today going to influence and develop the skills so that you can do what it is that you want to do? In vocational rehabilitation, there are many great values and your research bears this out that that, that is something that is very, very helpful to that young adult, especially youth transition programs such as the one that you had in Oregon while you were there. Yet, at the same time, we're at a stage where still only half of these young adults with disabilities are getting employed comparable to, to others. Yeah. You know, where do we go from here? I mean, you got the research, you, you have the data. Um, now, how do we work with these vocational rehabilitation? Or is it somebody else to say, hey, we need more of this? Sure. Sounds like a con congressional thing or a state legislature thing. Sure. The research that I do is very policy driven and what I try to do is to create research that says we need a little bit more capacity in this area. And so what I was able to do is to look at data from 10 years in the state of Oregon about the population of young adults with disabilities who receive services from vocational rehabilitation. This population 10 years included 4,443 youth. And so what I tried to do is to identify individual characteristics, in-school experiences, post-school experiences, and contextual factors that are going to predict whether or not these individuals close the vocational rehabilitation program as rehabilitated, which means that they are employed. And I found a number of things, and these things include that there are individual characteristics that make it so an individual is less likely to be employed than those who don't possess or exhibit those characteristics. So for example, young women are about 34%, 20, 24% less likely than young men to be employed after participating in this program. Other things that are important are disability types. So when I think about individuals with disabilities and perhaps who is who's most likely to have a poor post-secondary outcome, a lot of people might think that it's individuals with very significant disabilities or those with mobility impairments or those with um, individuals that have very strong physical or, or, or cognitive barriers to getting into the school, getting into the employment setting. What my research shows is that individuals who have the highest barrier to getting in, um, or to becoming positively engaged, is uh, whether or not they've got a mental illness, traumatic brain injury, 
or interpersonal impediments to, uh, to employment. So this idea that it's really these, these social skills, these non-cognitive skills, um, an individual who would, who would be diagnosed as somebody with a mental illness is likely to be somebody who's going to uh, um, show up to the workplace and might uh, um, have a disagreement with their employer. They might struggle in some form or fashion. They're gonna struggle in some form or fashion that's gonna be different than whether or not they could cognitively process the things that are coming to them. If somebody's interested and willing and engaged, employers are generally okay working with these individuals. But what we find, and think about that from your own perspective, the colleagues who you work best with are those who are present and interested in being there. It's not the colleagues who call you names or who, um, you know, who, 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 have other re who have other social skills deficits, right? So we know that- And, and yet you're still here. You know. yeah, believe it, believe it or not, I've still managed right so these are often kids that are involved in the juvenile justice system but these are we have risk factors and indicators that we can identify at a really young fat yet a young age that this stuff is going on but our school system doesn't do a very good job neither does the vocational rehabilitation program do a very good job of supporting these individuals because it's often included in the family it's related to the community it's related to the peers there's so many other factors that require so many different organizations so many different interventions so many different it's really a different difficult population uh, to provide supports to. Um, but at the same time, we do know that there are things that are going to be able to offset this. And one of those things is really providing them with career development opportunities. Sometimes our, some, that, that we can work within the interests of our students. So if we've got a, uh, if we've got a student who wants to be a neurosurgeon, we can promote that student's goal. We don't need to absolutely tell that student that they are going to be and can be a neurosurgeon, but we can develop career development opportunities that allow them to get into hospitals, that allow them to develop some skills. What is it that they like about being a neurosurgeon? Is it the status? Well, let's try to work, find them a job that has high status that works with their abilities. Is it the, um, is it the money? Well, let's try to focus on finding them an occupation where they're going to have high earnings returns, but by understanding what it is that we that, that individuals want to do and catering to those is that we know that we are more likely to get those students engaged in that employment process and thus they're more likely to have positive outcomes later on down the road. So do we need, just as an example, going back to like state legislature, do we need legislators and others to to fund this, to to put uh, more resources toward this, what is the what is the goal? I guess. So there's a couple of things that we need to do now. Some of these things have to do with what's happening within the school system, some of the practices, and other of these have to do with uh, additional research and information that we need to collect. So looking at things from the practice level or things that can be implemented within the schools is that we need to provide additional career development opportunities for some targeted populations. These career development opportunities should focus on to providing career development for young women, should focus on cor providing career development for young young adults with mental illness and those who have experienced traumatic brain injury or those with interpersonal impediments to employment. So we've got these targeted groups of individuals who would benefit from additional robust experiences within the workforce. This may mean going out into the community and finding an employer who's willing to work with these students, but we need to be able to do this. 
Additionally, we need to provide access to collaborative statewide school-based transition programs and support high school completion for all students with disabilities. This is an agenda that we've got, but we need to continue to target our energies in these areas because we know that students who participate in transition programs are more likely to be employed later on down the road. We know that students who close or earn a high school completion certificate, whether that's a GED or a, uh, or a regular diploma, we know that having a high school completion certificate is going to increase the likelihood that students are going to be employed later on down the road. So we need to highlight and focus on all of these outcomes. Okay? So these are a couple of things that we need to do for practice within the school system. But there's also some things that we don't have enough information on. And so we really need to understand if these patterns exist within a national set. Do they exist throughout multiple states? We need to be able to compare and understand the way that this research is going to um, pan out in different populations. We also need to understand why do these transition programs promote positive post-secondary outcomes? What is it that they're doing? Is it work experience? Is it involving families? Is it uh, focusing on non-cognitive skills? Is it uh, um, developing uh, um, uh, uh, internships and work experience? We need to understand what is it about these programs that are causing or affecting students in positive ways so that we can begin to systematize and replicate these features. Lastly, we need to the same targeted group of individuals who would benefit from more career development opportunities is we need to do more research to understand what strategies are going to be effective for these populations. If we've got a student with a mental illness, maybe they've already got high math skills, maybe they've already got high reading skills, but what is it that we can do? Do they need assistance with, with mood management skills? Do they need uh, uh, focus on medic medication management? What, what types of services are best going to support these targeted populations? Young women, how are we going to get young women into high earning careers? How are we going to get young women into the occupations that, that um, it, it, any occupation. And so we need to do a better job of understanding interventions that are going to positively impact these groups of students. All right, Marcus Poppin, Clinical Assistant Professor of Special Education here at uh, Washington State University's College of Education. Uh, thank you so much for joining me here on Education Eclipse. And, and Marcus, it's easy to see why, why you won this award for this research. It's fantastic research. I, I really hope that we can move this forward and, and definitely bridge that gap between where, where they are at as far as getting jobs and where, where others are at getting jobs. Hopefully that can happen. I think your research is a great start. So congratulations on the award and uh, it was well earned. Right on. Thank you, Brandon. And I've got a quick question for you, if you wouldn't mind. Okay. You've been in media for a while, and uh, could you tell me what, what, where does the term podcast come from? Okay, well, that's, yeah, that's an interesting question. So actually, it's a blended word. The word pod, that portion of the word came from iPod, and then broadcast, of course, is uh, the cast part of it. So podcast melding the iPod, which was just starting to, to get popular about 2004. Anyway, the history is, is really long, and I'll tell you what, we'll take that in a future segment. <laughs> All right. Well, to, for a later date. For a later date. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Education Eclipse, a College of Education podcast from Washington State University.